0: Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of the Kingston Unitarian Fellowship, located in Southeast Ontario. Unitarian Universalism is a progressive free faith grounded in the promises of community and inspired by how we hold our shared faith's principles and sources. For more information about Canadian Unitarianism, please go to our website, kuf.ca, and our national website, cuc.ca. Are bathed in the light of a new day so may we greet the dawning of fresh possibility. Once more we awaken from our slumber to pay attention as our bodies rise to meet the challenges and pleasures of living. So may our hearts and minds open with gratitude as we join our voices in word and in singing. So may this gathering help to nurture our resilience. Come, let us gather together in the making of meaning. Each week, we take a moment to reflect on one of the values that we hold, one of the principles, sources, and aspirations we are always working to bring more into focus in our lives. And this week, our focus is on our first principle. And I will read through this. You're welcome to read it with me or just receive these words. We, the member congregations of the Canadian Unitarian Council, covenant to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person.
1: And then I'd like to begin this morning with a little experiment. So, I invite you to close your eyes, if you feel comfortable doing so, And begin repeating to yourself the word trouble, 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 trouble. Say it out loud if you would. Everybody say it. I want to hear a murmur of trouble. Trouble, 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 trouble. Images may appear in your mind. Keep repeating the word. Images, what does it bring to mind? Say it over and over several times. And then notice how your body reacts. Do you feel any tightness or tension building? Any sense of contraction? Now, take a big breath and erase the board or push the reset button or whatever it is you need to do so that you can come back to this same place and this moment in a more kind of neutral way. And now, close your eyes again and begin repeating the word kindness over and over. Again, out loud, kindness, 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 kindness. Bring images to mind if you want as you repeat kindness. Keep it going. Whisper the word. Notice any changes in your body this time. Does it soften or relax? Does it feel a bit more expansive or grounded? Maybe your hands unclench a little bit or your brow becomes smoother. Now imagine in your mind's eye a Peanuts cartoon. And if we have anybody here who's too young to know Peanuts, I accept responsibility for being ageist. (laughs) So, Charlie Brown and Snoopy are sitting next to each other on a dock, Their backs are to us and they're watching a gorgeous sunset. Charlie Brown says gloomily, Snoopy, someday we'll all die. And Snoopy replies, true, but on all the other days we won't. So, feel free to open your eyes (laughs) and you might be asking, what does trouble and kindness and peanuts have to do with our service this morning? Well, it's all about paying attention or rather where we choose to pay attention. The Buddha says, we are shaped by our thoughts. And we become what we think. And what's interesting is that modern neuroscience has been showing this more and more to be true. Unfortunately, we all start off with what's been termed a negativity bias, which is a good thing because it's part of our species survival mechanism. So, millions of years ago, our ancient predecessors had to be constantly on the lookout for dangers, just as most animals in the wild are today. If the individual wants to survive, it pays to be vigilant and ready to freeze or to fight or to flee. So, it gets, and of course that all depends on the circumstances, and so the brain that perceives a threat, gets a little jolt of cortisol, and adrenaline, and other stress hormones, and that activates the muscles, and provides the strength, or the speed, or whatever qualities are required to deal with a danger. Our memory and our senses are constantly scanning for danger. And if a threat occurs, it's likely to be remembered, because the next time the threat comes along, we want to be ready. Fortunately, these days, most of us are lucky enough to to pass pretty uneventful lives, at least from a physical danger point of view. Our brains, however, are still hardwired for vigilance and they're scanning for danger and this negativity bias can end up leading to health concerns such as high blood pressure, cancer, heart disease threats which are much more likely to kill us these days than that roving carnivore that threatened our ancestors. So here's a quick example of the negativity bias at work. A linguistics prof is lecturing the class on the differences in various languages. I, I thought this was interesting. So in English, here's the professor now, in English two negatives in the same sentence make a positive. Everybody okay with that? You recognize that? However, in Russian, two negatives still result in a negative. And if you've ever met an an Eastern European, they are very pessimistic people by nature, and I, you know, maybe that's part of the thing. However, this is the professor saying, however, there is no language on Earth in which two positives make a negative. There's a short silence, and then a voice from the back yells out, Yeah, right! (laughs) In spite of this negativity bias, scientists have shown, by using MRIs and other imaging techniques, that what we repeatedly think actually does begin to change our brain, just as the Buddha promised. Neurons that fire together, repeatedly, begin to wire together. We can purposely choose to devote our attention to the positive and, in effect, counteract the negativity bias that jolts us with that cortisol and adrenaline and keeps us ready to fight or flee, when most of the times in our modern lives that's a counterproductive reaction. In many traditional meditation practices, there are a couple of major categories. The most famous is probably awareness or mindfulness meditation, in which we try to keep returning to this present moment, often by using the breath as an anchor. There are a couple of other categories, but another category is called gladdening the mind. And it involves purposely paying attention to positive stimuli in order to prepare the ground, as it were, for openness, receptivity, and compassion. It's been said that if you choose not to find joy in the snow, you will have less joy in your life but still the same amount of snow. (laughs) Have you noticed that one? And isn't it like that for almost anything we encounter in life? Our happiness depends not so much on what's happening to us, but rather on how we relate to what is happening. You may have been lucky enough to know someone or maybe you are someone whose life on the surface seems to just be one trial or one hardship after another. Maybe you know someone like that. And yet, sometimes that individual who seems so burdened by the events of their life also seems able to stand up to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and remain calm, equanimous, and happy in the face of repeated misfortune. This isn't happenstance. It's almost always a choice that is made over and over again. Purposely gladdening the mind can make that choice easier as the brain is trained to pause and pay attention to the good things which are always there in each of our lives. We tend to be always on our way to somewhere else. Have you noticed that? We're always trying to get something else done to acquire the next possession, to escape our current situation, to tick items off our to-do list. So, we have to make an effort to notice the small things that can add color and fragrance and joy to our lives. Three construction workers are standing by the side of the road. I could say one's Jewish, one's Unitarian, and one's, you know, (laughs) Christian, but that doesn't matter for this one. So the first is carrying a big red sign with a single word, STOP. The second has the same sign, but also a bouquet of flowers, and that sign says stop and smell the roses. And the third worker has a sign that says, okay, resume speeding through your life like a maniac. (laughs) And we get it, don't we? At some level, we know that the negativity bias is alive, and well, and out to get us. And that we are much happier when we purposely make time for enjoyment, appreciation, and gratitude. There was a very, very wise and kind man named Fred Rogers who said, I believe that appreciation is a holy thing. When we look for what's best in the person we happen to be with at the moment, we're doing what God does. So, in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something truly sacred. In loving and appreciating our neighbor, in expressing our delight at the beauty of nature, in feeling grateful for all that is our life, we are participating in something sacred. Here's another interpretation of doing that sacred work from the pen of Alice Walker. Listen, God loves everything you love and a mess of stuff you don't. But more than anything, (laughs) God-love-admiration. You saying God-vain, I ask? No, she say, not vain, just wanting to share a good thing. I think it pisses God off if you walk by the color purple in a field somewhere and don't notice it. There are the tricks, though, to this noticing. First, we have to pause. We have to build into our minds, into our routines, into our habits, the sacred pause. That stopping to appreciate the small things, like the color purple in a field somewhere. It can even be mechanical at first. Setting a timer, activating an app on your phone, always looking for something new to appreciate during the drive or the bus ride or the walk home from work every day. Remember, we're trying to train our brains and that requires practice and persistence like any other kind of training, if you've ever for a physical event, you know that it can be pretty mechanical and boring at times. But the habit of looking for what makes us grateful can be developed over time. And if it's mechanical occasionally, it can still work. Second trick, when we have paused and identified something worthy of appreciation, we have to let it sink in we have to rest with it for 15 to 30 seconds so that it will stick now those unkind words or the difficulties in our day will go straight to the implicit memory and be lodged there very securely but not the good stuff not so much so Just imagine if you were to receive a glowing performance evaluation. You're just great. That includes one sentence of suggestion for improvement? (laughs) What are you likely to notice and remember the most? So in order to take advantage of the gifts of gratitude and appreciation, we have to really savor them. We have to let them soak into our bodies and our psyches like water into a sponge, making an effort to feel in our hearts and minds and bodies the warmth and light and benevolence that they can engender. Third trick. Having paused and identified something large or small, for which you're grateful, and then, having spent five to ten breaths on savoring that wonderful sensation of appreciation, then it's time to speak it, or draw it, or write it, or dance it, or sing it, by activating our bodies to somehow acknowledge that lovely sensation of joyful presence we can train our brains to remember in a different way. Some people find a gratitude buddy, someone with whom they can exchange an email or a text every day listing three things that they're grateful for. Get your thumbs going. No comments are required and it provides accountability. Some people keep a gratitude journal, and it's been proven in a number of studies that such a journal can have a really measurable effect, even on pretty severe depression. By feeling the sensation of thanksgiving in our bodies, and then using our bodies to reinforce that sensation, The joy of that moment becomes stickier, and more likely to be retained in the wiring of our brains. So, I invite you to make a clearing in the dense forest of your life, and to purposely practice gratitude. For when we are messengers of joy and appreciation, we can, counteract our own personal negativity bias. We can work and act from a place of ease and calm. Much better able to accept what arises, to roll with the punches, remembering that our lives are indeed full of the beautiful, the sacred, and the ephemeral joys of the everyday. When we can face our own troubles with equanimity and acceptance, we're much better able to deal effectively with the problems facing the wider world by simply paying attention to the wonders of this great earth and those beloved companions who accompany us here for our brief time on this stage. We can bring our contagious contentment to a world that sorely needs our help. A closing observation from the writings of Nietzsche, of all people. For happiness, how little suffices for happiness. The least little thing precisely, the gentlest thing, the lightest thing, a lizard's rustling, a breath, a whisper, an eye glance, little maketh up the best happiness. Be still. May we each be still and pay attention. May we pay attention and feel grateful for the least little thing, the lightest thing. May the growing light around us and within us illuminate our days and leave us strong and resilient, open to wonder, to beauty, to connection, and to peace. Amen so may it be.
0: And I invite you this morning to take a moment now to reflect on the gifts as we begin a time in meditation. Whether it's the lawn that needs mowing the floor that needs waxing or the person sitting next to you, the person who's waiting for you, a person who loves you, a pet, an experience, a mentor. What are you grateful for? Taking a deep breath, finding comfort, in your body, feeling grounded and centered. Your feet are on the floor. Your eyes, if you want to close them, are closed. Otherwise, feel free to leave your eyes open. Taking a deep, deep breath. In and out. Allowing a small smile to rest on your face. A gentle, small smile. How smiling feels. Notice the softening of the face, the lifting in the corner of your eyes. And let the sensation of the smile spread, allowing your shoulders to relax down, allowing your heart, your emotional center, your emotional being to fill with benevolence, kindness, friendliness. And now think about the things for which you are grateful. People, places, music, artistic expression, creativity, nature, good food, soothing touch. Whatever brings an impulse for you to rejoice and be thankful. And now I'm gonna ask you to think about saying out loud, I am grateful for, and I want everybody to say it together, I am grateful for, and then fill in the blank, I am grateful for, fill in the blank, I am grateful for, I am grateful for, beautiful. Beautiful. Keep going. What are you grateful for? And taking a deep breath in and a deep breath out, Anne is going to bring the microphone out into the the gathering and the microphone can just pass along the rows in a word. What are you grateful for? Things might be repeated, you may say, I am grateful for, and or you may just say what you're grateful for and then pass the mic along. One or two words, a poem of gratitude created in community, <laughs> grounded in our own thanksgiving as an offering of our thanks. I am grateful for my health. You're also welcome to pass the mic if you don't want to say anything. It's not a big deal. I'm grateful that this family day we get to spend it with family. I'm going to quote somebody who used to be a member of the fellowship and who had a severe accident and and was in rehab for nine months and almost died.
1: And he said to me, I never I never complain anymore about babies crying. I never complain about rain. I never complain about standing
0: in lines. So I'm grateful for all those things. Well, I'm grateful for having, I think, born a no optimist. And my glass is usually half full. And I noticed, since we had the talk about this uh, earlier, that how often I say to myself during the day, oh, am I ever lucky to have this? But then when I goof off, I feel very bad for a while. <laughs> I'm grateful for uh, the love of my family. I'm grateful for support. I'm grateful for the woods. I am grateful for nature. Oh, I'm grateful for
1: Beckett. I'm grateful for the snow. that gives me a chance to go outside and get some fresh air and exercise. And I'm grateful to be in my late 60s and still able to shovel it. <laughs> Important.
0: I'm grateful for 70 years.
1: I'm grateful for birds. Grateful for... Rainbows and chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm grateful for my
0: husband. (laughs) My ever-loving
1: health and family
0: being alive now
1: I'm grateful to be here in every sense of the word I'm grateful for my children and my life I'm grateful for music
0: I'm grateful for family and friends I'm grateful for my beloved Carl Mm -hmm. I'm grateful to be still alive I'm grateful for being alive at 86.
1: I'm grateful for this extended family. I'm grateful for my wife.
0: I'm grateful for music.
1: I'm grateful for comparing my past to where I am now. And I'm grateful for the people I know.
0: Music, art, and literature, the things that help us understand our lives.
1: Uh, I am corresponding
0: with a, a man who's been in prison for 14 years, a large part of it in solitary confinement. And in his letters, he is very grateful for his faith, although he has
1: very little. And so whenever I read his letters, I realize I'm grateful for everything.
0: grateful for my mom. I'm grateful for water, my son, and friends. So many things. I'm grateful for uh, Pink Floyd. (laughs) I am grateful for all. I'm grateful for friends. I'm grateful for family from my 81 year old husband to my two-year-old great-grandchild. I'm grateful for love.
1: I'm grateful for music, friends, and family. I'm grateful for our life in Canada. I'm grateful for my son and my family.
0: I'm grateful for having found a group of wonderful people. I'm grateful for health family and uh, the gathering of everyone here.
1: For the opportunity to do uh, meaningful work.
0: I'm grateful for uh, the house that has been my home for 33 years and in a month I'll be moving on. I'm grateful for my wife and I'm grateful for the kindness of the Canadian people and Thank you for giving me so many, uh, so much, um, so uh, so more help. Thank you. I'm grateful to know two things. One is that the ancestors, they didn't have this negative response, didn't have any offspring because they became meat. Second thing I want to say is that, Half of Ontario's children experience some kind of abuse, and of course their fears and nightmares have all come true. I'm grateful for all the people who pick me up when I'm down. I'm grateful for a family that's close by, and um, two crazy kids, and a partner who um, offers me great advice and helps keep me humble. I'm grateful for so many things, it's hard to put words to it, but family, friends, home, music, and life. I'm grateful for the mental health of my immediate family and my young adult children's spirit of adventure
1: and positivity. And I'm grateful for my grandchildren. And
0: I'm grateful for this call, this service and the opportunity to um, take a lifelong journey of becoming the best person I can be in the world and have a chance, a rare chance for that to be my work as well. In these closing moments, let's take a big, deep breath in and as you exhale, I want you all to say, I am grateful. I am grateful. Take that out into your week with you. Take it out into your world, into the conversations, the interactions that you have between now and when we next come together. May you all go forth knowing that you are blessed and you are a blessing. Amen. Blessed be. Thank you for joining us for this Sunday service podcast from the Kingston Unitarian Fellowship. Please feel free to check back each month for additional episodes. And if you're able to contribute financially to this community-supported enterprise, we would deeply appreciate your generosity in any amount.